Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, Gracie has on her babushka. Gracie uh, appears to be a dog with not a lot of hair. So there you go. Good morning, Gracie. As you head out in Connecticut for your walk, I um, had a really good time on the day that you guys texted in your pictures of all of our furry, feathered, finned, finned, furry, feathered, finned. I'm probably missing something. Uh, listeners. So thank you uh, to each and every one of you. If you have not yet seen all of their photos, I posted them on uh, on my Facebook page. <laughs> so there you go. Um, you're, there's still time for you to get in. Um, sometimes in my morning reading, I come across something that I think is so good that I just say to myself, I should just read that on air. Like I can't write that any better. And so this morning, as my body and my brain are not functioning at what we might call peak performance, I had a COVID test yesterday morning after the show. And although I don't yet have the results, I am fairly certain I have COVID. So for those of you who uh, may be new to Mornings with Carmen, um, I am about as socially distanced from my colleagues at Faith Radio right now as a person could be. So we are good to proceed with our broadcast. I appreciate your prayers. Uh, I am certainly counting on them. So back to the lead. I read Jim Dennison's uh, Dennison Forum email. Uh, He's a regular guest on the show. He sends out um, a daily reflection. I read it almost every day um, because Jim's got a team that scans the headlines and brings the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news, equipping um, people in the same way that we seek to equip one another right here. So Jim is in the midst of a series of teachings on like how and why we as Christians engage our neighbors um, who reject biblical truth and morality. So how do we do that? Like, how do you respond? How do you speak truth? How do you enter into relationship with people around you, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your work, who reject biblical truth and biblical morality? Um, And he makes the argument that we are often responding with truth, but without love. And so um, his his post today is just so great. So I wanted to share a portion of it with you. Um, and he says here, some sins are obviously intentional and deserve the, this is how you know I did not write this, opprobrium of society. Mm-hmm. I would never use a word like that. Um, so it's like the condemnation, like social condemnation. There are sins that are so obviously intentional that they deserve just, total condemnation society-wide. There are other times, though, that people are suffering and even sinning um, in ways that are sort of the result of swimming in the cultural water. Like, right, they come by their beliefs honestly. They, They were honestly raised in communities and in churches where the Bible was not upheld as truth and where biblical morality was perverted. And so most people who reject biblical truth and morality 
probably fall into that later category. And Jim says for two reasons. Um, One, they need our help in understanding spiritual truth, um, which means we need to teach them the nature of what it means to be human. We need to teach them the reality of sin. We need to teach them the redemptive scope of God, uh, uh, the ark, the redemptive ark over all of humanity. We need to be ready to respond when they say, you know, well, you know, it's just no different than any other religion, um, or you need that and I don't. Um, And then we have to recognize that they're victims of a real enemy. And I'm not saying here, you know, that I'm buying into the victim mentality of the culture. What I'm saying is God moved me at some point from righteous indignation to compassion and gave me, I talk about this in my book, Speak the Truth, but like literally moved me from seeing people as intentionally overtly opposed to God, which they are, living that reality and holding those positions because they're prisoners of war and they were born as prisoners of war and they've been raised as prisoners of war and they don't even know that their soul has an enemy. And so when I think about how we respond to prisoners of war, we don't scream and yell at them. We seek to liberate them. And so that is a act of compassion in the culture today. So I'm wondering if you would join me today in asking God to tenderize our hearts to the reality of those around us who are lost and in need of salvation and who, do, who honestly do not understand. They are victims of the enemy of their own soul, that they desperately need our intercession and, yes, our compassion. Holy God, um, we do intercede with sighs too deep for words right now. Thank you for turning on the light in our lives. Give us your eyes, Father. Give us eyes that see. Thank you for transforming us and transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your Son, our Savior, who is the very light of the world. Help us, God, to be shiny today in a way that, in the same way that Jesus, like, lit up the room and drew people unto himself like moths to a flame, grant that your Holy Spirit would fill us like that today with all compassion and gentleness, speaking the truth in love, that indeed we might show forth the goodness of the gospel today. Amen and amen. Our friend Bill English is going to be here next. Um, We're going to talk about something that is of concern to each and every one of us, and that is what's going on with the IRS in this particular year. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining us now, Bill English. You can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com and on Twitter at BibleBusiness. Bill, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you, Carmen? Well, I'm awaiting the results of my COVID test, and I feel like uh, I just want to go back to bed. But I was totally jazzed about talking with everybody this morning, and since I'm socially distanced, I felt like I should just go ahead and get up and do this. You know, That's you're, you're in your shack, aren't you? I know. Right? You're I'm just totally all by yourself. Totally all by myself. I didn't even bring the dogs in today because, you know, right, you're supposed to avoid your pets. They're sitting at the oh, door. It's quite it's quite the scene. All right. So um, I I am aware that if something is allowed to go on for any period of time, someone must be benefiting from it. So who is benefiting from inflation? Oh, who is benefiting from inflation? Um, According to the Wall Street Journal, it's the federal government that is benefiting from inflation. 
uh, so you, you kind of have to understand that that when uh, when inflation happens in an economy, you know, and prices go up, so we pay more for goods and services, the tax rates stay the same. So let's just say, for example, that I had to pay a uh, 10% tax on $10, which would be a dollar, right? And now the price went up to 15, so I have to pay a 10% tax on that 15, so now I'm paying $1.50 in, in a tax. So whether that's a sales tax or an income tax, don't, don't worry about that. It's just the illustration. What's happening is as inflation is happening, um, the more and more taxes, tax revenues are flowing into the uh, coffers of the federal government. Um, for example, in the last quarter of, of, of last year, the, the government brought in $1.05 trillion, which was a $248 billion increase. And so the, the way the Wall Street Journal is, is positioning this article, and by the way, for those who want to read the article, it's titled Washington Cashes In on Inflation. It's an opinion piece. What they're saying is that, that because of inflation, um, a lot more money is now flowing into the federal government, and and revenues have never been this high for the federal government. I think um, that as consumers and as taxpayers, this is just something for everybody to understand, because literally, I know you know this, I know this, the cost of everything um, has risen demonstrably like it's you can't ignore it anymore it's really it's a significant rise it's affecting everything um now and you know you can't go to the grocery store and fill up the same cart of groceries that you could even just a couple of months ago um for the same price or anywhere close to the same price so um just a good reminder that we who have some extra need to be reaching out and um, helping to supply for the needs of those um, who have run out of resources in this inflationary time. Um, this leads us, Bill, to a conversation about taxes. Uh, anything that you want to highlight in terms of the IRS? The IRS is in trouble. <laughs> I just don't know how to say it from an administrative standpoint, not from a regulatory standpoint. Um, <clears throat> the IRS uh, started 2021 with 11.7 million returns left over from 2020. Think about that. All right. And it took the agency until June of last year just to finish processing all the 2019 returns. As of uh, today, if I remember correctly, uh, it has 2.8 million unprocessed business returns, uh, more than 6 million unprocessed individual returns, and a combination of 2.8 million unprocessed amended individual and business tax returns with uh, just under 5 million pieces of correspondence that they still need to respond to. Add on top of that that I believe that they have lost something like 11,000 or is it 33,000, 33,000 full-time employees between 2010 and 2020, the IRS has lost, and their funding has been cut by Congress. So um, this is not an opportunity for people to say, oh, you know what, I don't have to pay my tax because they're not going to be able to follow up with me. That's not the attitude that a Christian should take. But we should just realize that if you're expecting a refund and you file paper-based, mm. you know, good luck, right? File yeah, electronically. Yeah, you definitely want to file electronically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that is the—because otherwise you're going to be behind um, 
yeah, there's like five, 11, there's like 11.6 million returns from last year that are going to be ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. Are they going to be ahead of those paper <laughs> filings? Yeah, you don't want to do that. All right. We're going to yeah. um, we're going to continue this conversation with Bill in just a moment. Um, for those of you who have a side hustle, um, like I do. Right. There are some things that I do that are outside of my job here at Faith Radio, and I get paid for some of those like speaking, like going and speaking somewhere. If you um, if you are over a six hundred dollar threshold. Um, for the for the services or goods that you have provided in 2021 um, and you've been paid on Venmo or PayPal or some other electronic platform, the threshold is now six hundred dollars, um, not like 20 grand. And so that's an interesting um, that's a really interesting conversation to have for very, very small new entrepreneurs. Um, we're going to talk about more things related to the IRS because it's of concern to all of us. And we'll be right back. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We, we are talking we're talking with Bill English. He's our friend. Um, you can find him at BibleAndBusiness.com. He's also an author. His book is coming out really, really soon. So can we talk about um, that before we jump back into our conversation about the IRS? Oh, sure. Yeah. So when is it coming out and what do we need to know about <clears throat> it? About three weeks, <gasps> I'm guessing. That's so exciting. It is. It is. I'm, I'm just finishing up the final edit. I've got the cover uh, selected, and uh, and then I'll have to send it off to uh, get the uh, line editing done. You know what that is. Right, right. And uh, once that's done, uh, then the PDFs will be produced, and we can upload to Ingram Spark or Amazon, and it'll be published. That's amazing. Like, right? That's, this process has changed so radically. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, with, yeah, it's just amazing. It's amazing. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, remind us, Bill, it's really for business owners. I mean, that's really who you have in mind. No, uh, this one is for business leaders. Oh, excellent. There's a difference. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's a whole swath of Christians who go to work every day, and they are leaders within their companies, but they're not the owners. And they are really my target for this book. It's called um, Business Wisdom for Business Leaders, <laughs> or Biblical Wisdom, I'm sorry. Biblical Wisdom for Business Leaders. And I took the 30 sayings in Proverbs from... Uh, chapter 22, verses 14 through the end of chapter 24, those 30 sayings, and I exegeted them and then applied them to uh, our roles as business leaders in for-profit or non-profit organizations. Oh, I love that. Maybe next time you're on, you, you could unpack one of those for us. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. I love that. that. That'd be awesome. All right. Biblical Wisdom for Business Leaders, uh, the forthcoming book by Bill English. Bibleandbusiness.com is the website. Um, stimulus payments, child tax credits, unemployment insurance claims. Uh, if anybody has any COVID-driven factors, if they live in Illinois, Tennessee or Kentucky and there was a tornado. I mean, like, it's crazy how different. Oh, if you have any, 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 any crypto transactions, any yeah. crypto transactions, like the IRS it, filing is going to be a really different experience, I think. They're going to ask really yeah. different questions. First of all, on the side hustle issue with everybody with, Ven, you know, doing your business through Venmo or Etsy or PayPal or Airbnb or whoever. Um, this the $600 new ruling from the IRS is really not a new ruling. It's just bringing in the online transactions into what has already been happening in business for years. So here, here's an example. Carmen, if I, were, if I were to hire you to come speak at my company 
and I paid you $800, and I wrote you a check. At the end of the year, I would send you a 1099 for $800 because that transaction uh, or the total amount that I had paid you in the 12-month period would have been over $600. Mm-hmm. But if I paid you through Venmo, I wouldn't have had to send you a 1099, and that essentially would have been tax-free income to you, and I would not have been able to take the deduction at my mm. end. And so the when when I when I made well that's actually not true I'm sure some of the CPAs are disagreeing with me right now but still there is income loss to the government uh, if it currently if the payment was made through Venmo or Etsy or PayPal right but if it had been made by check or cash then I'd have to issue you a 1099 all they're saying is regardless of what online service you're going to get paid by you have to abide by the $600 rule I think that's reasonable. And I don't think the IRS is taking anybody to the cleaners here. They're just getting the online payment systems in line with where rest of business is. My um, speaker agent spent sent a crying laughing um, at your offer. I'm just letting you know. <clears throat> My offer. So she, oh. she didn't think she didn't think that I would probably head out and speak in person for $800. Not these days because you got so many expenses related to it. Like it's a challenge. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a huge challenge. I'm sorry. I meant a No, no, right? Like I, I would. Apologize. No, 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 no. That's not what that's about. I, that's about like, I, right? So when we have right. these conversations, people are making a lot of money um, oh, yeah. and being paid oh, through yeah. Etsy and Venmo and other um, online PayPal and, and, and on and on and on. So let me ask this. Okay, so let's yeah, just say yeah. um, I did come and I spoke and you paid me $800 and um, you paid me through Venmo. Do you now have to figure out how to circle back around with me? Because I probably never even gave you my information because you were paying me through Venmo and I just gave you my Venmo logon. Yeah, I'll just send you an email, ask you to fill out the proper IRS forms. I get it. And then I send you a 1099. It's not okay, hard. so so that's what's going to happen. But I'm thinking that these, you know, these Etsy retailers, um, you know, they might have a thousand transactions um, that individually don't rise to this level, but collectively they do. Like, you see the challenge, right? Like, I don't. No, 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 no. I don't see the challenge okay. because because it's not the accumulation of the transact. It's not the dollar accumulation of the transactions. It's the accumulative six hundred dollars to an individual party or more. Okay. Six hundred or more to an individual party. So if I had ten thousand transactions and they were all a hundred bucks to ten thousand different um, uh, individuals, I don't have to do this. I don't okay. have to worry about it. the six hundred dollar threshold. I got it. All right. Well, stimulus checks, child tax credits, unemployment insurance claims. The list is really long. If your residence changed, if you work more from home, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. I think it's going to be more complicated to fill out our taxes this Mm -hmm. year. You got to check where you live in terms of the date because um, most people in the United States uh, have an automatic tax return extension for individual returns, uh, Monday, April the 18th. But if you live in some states across the country, um, it's going to be somewhat or much later than that. Uh, And so you want to check that out. And Bill and I are both saying, like, you want to do this online. I know that that sounds, or you want to work with a person that will help you and they will file it um, online or electronically for you because paper returns. I know that 10% of Americans still fill out paper returns, but the backlog on paper returns, um, is 
more than 10 million right now. And so you're not going to get an IRS reading of your paper return um, for a very, very long period of time. And so just, you know, want to let people know that in terms of, I don't know, it's like my public service this morning. How's that? <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> All right. Bill, as always, thank you um, so much. You guys can find Bill English at BibleAndBusiness.com. You can find him on Twitter at Bible Business. We're looking forward to the release of his next book, Biblical Wisdom for Business Leaders. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. If you want to get a copy of of that from John Stone Street and the Colson Center, you just go to breakpoint.org. Um, it's that is a that is audio worth absolutely hearing again, um, and it is also um, worth you downloading the transcript of that, which you can do from the Colson Center at breakpoint.org. Um, because I think that is a conversation that each and every one of us could have with every preg- pregnant woman we know. Like, don't have it with people who made a decision in the past to abort their child because of a test result. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. But if you know a woman who is currently pregnant and is having prenatal testing, please, please, please share this information with her. And then, um, you know, commit. Commit to coming alongside uh, her in raising a child, whatever the outcome. All right. So that's what it means to be pro-life like genuinely pro-life, not just for the pre-born, um, but for however it is that God brings us into this world as his image bearers. What happens, what happens when our dreams are not God's dreams? I mean, earlier today, we talked with Chelsea Sibolik. Um Chelsea always dreamed of being a mom. She always dreamed of having children of her own. When she was 18, she found out that was never going to happen. Um, what happens when we set our heart's desire on something and God gives us something else? Something good, yes, because all God's gifts are good, but it's not what we wanted. It's not where we had set our hearts. We're going to talk with T.C. Stallings. You would recognize him if you could see his face because he burst onto the Hollywood scene um, like six years ago now with his first leading role in the hit film The War Room with Priscilla Schreier. One of my um, favorite all-time movies, uh, The War Room soared to number one at the box office. It led a lot of us to empty out our closets and tape scriptures to the walls um, and pray uh, around our house and start praying in earnest for our unconfessed sins and our marriages and our families and our neighborhoods and our nation, on and on and on. But long before T.C. Stallings um, had an acting career and all of the success that he now enjoys, He um, had set his heart on something very different and endured countless disappointments and setbacks and failures related to that. So he's going to join us to answer the question, what might God do with a completely surrendered life? What happens when we set our dreams aside and we live into the thing to which God has called us? You don't want to miss this conversation with T.C. Stallings. We'll be right back. This is Max Lucado. When crowds of people came to Christ for healing, one by one he placed his hands on them and healed them. Jesus could have proclaimed a cloud of healing blessings to fall upon the crowd, 
but he is not a one-size-fits-all Savior. He placed his hands on each one individually, personally, perceiving unique needs. He issued unique blessings. A precise prayer gives Christ the opportunity to remove all doubt about his love and interest. Your problem becomes his pathway. The challenge you face becomes a canvas upon which Christ can demonstrate his finest work. So offer a simple prayer and entrust the problem to Christ. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Believe that Jesus is king of each and every situation. Stallings uh, joins us now. You would recognize him from the movies Courageous and War Room. He is the author of Eyes Fixed, My True Life Story. TC, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I want people to know they can connect with you at tcstallings.life and also on Instagram, real TC Stallings. Is there somebody out there posing as a fake TC Stallings? (laughs) <laughs> it actually was. It was quite a few. Right. And uh, there you go. <laughs> don't know what's up with that, but I don't know. I guess it's. I guess it can be flattering, but it can be weird too. So <laughs> yeah. So you gonna if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's real TC Stallings. Um, I would just love to have you tell us your story. Um, because mm-hmm. this is one of those things where, you know, I don't. I don't think that your story needs a whole lot of setup for Christians who recognize God has this redempting, transforming power, and we love to hear one another's stories, and that's what you share. So, will you just share your story? Yeah, and I mean, you know, it. it for anybody who will listen, who will listen, you know, Christian or, or not, and especially since my story starts off with somebody who didn't even know what it really, really, truly meant to be a Christian, I was just a person, person that was just uh, didn't didn't like his life growing up. You know, I'm. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm 9, 10, 11 years old, where I really started to recognize my surroundings. You know, I mean, when you're growing up and you're young, um, and you know, the violence that I grew up around, the drugs and all that kind of stuff, you, you kind of don't even know it's bad because it's so mm-hmm. common until you kind of get a little older and you start to say, hey, this doesn't feel very good. And once that started to happen, you start to want change. And so for me, it's just, that's the short of it. I just grew up in a, in a very you know dangerous situation. Um, but it was common and my mother did the best she could, you know, I didn't have my dad in my life. So all those little factors that make it, you know, feel like this is, this isn't good. It's not going to work out. Statistically, I should be dead pretty soon or in a drive by or something like that. And, you know, I just started to want to get out of that. And I just remember picking up a ball one day and running around with it and seeing that, you know, if you can do this well, you can get out. And so my goal at that point began to uh, be, hey, get out of here by using football and then come back and take care of your mother. And and that was just how everything kind of just started. But it was just I was too young to be so stressed out about my life. But that's kind of what was happening to me at the time. So, TC, as I was um, as I was reading um, about your life, I was thinking to myself, um, first of all, thanks be to God for his grace. And oh, thanks be then thanks be to God um for awakening you to the reality that God had something better. Because I don't think every kid comes to that awareness. No, no, not at all. And 
what they do, what what does end up happening is it's not like, you know, Satan and evil cares that you're a young, unassuming kid, because what was happening to me was, you know, a lot of people understand that I, I've never, you know, gotten into a, a thing where I'm a guy that's going to prison or a guy that falls to drugs or a guy that falls to gangs and all these things that they, they were around me growing up. And I'm and I'm known and praised for that, but this is why I wrote the book because I I explained to people humbly that the only reason that those di- things didn't take me over is because it just didn't work out because I tried them all, I tried absolutely every last one of those as a kid because there was nobody to stop me. My mother was awesome, but she couldn't see everything that I did. So when I went out, you know, I was I, those things were introduced to me, and I would try them, and it's just by God's grace, like you said, they did not work out for me. And when they didn't work out for me, and they just freaked me out and scared me instead. I ran from them. So I give God's grace all the credit, not TC's ability to be so good as a little kid. It's just my my sin didn't work out. So uh, that's God's grace completely. Who was your, um, did you have an NFL hero? Barry Sanders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and why is that? The, the greatest running back you ever see in your life. Uh, you know, I'm it, when I was when I was young, um, I remember just turning on TV and I, and I believe the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers were playing the Detroit Lions. And uh, I was really, really young. I just saw Barry Sanders running around and I would take socks like big socks and roll them up and stuff them underneath my shirt and run mm-hmm. around my grandmother's basement acting like I was Barry Sanders. So in the. It, it was th- that was the first and only NFL jersey I've ever owned. I could never afford an NFL jersey. It was gifted to me, and it wasn't until I got to college that I could ever even uh, go to an NFL game. I never could afford to go to an NFL game. Um, I always tell the story about how I was. I, I grew up in Cleveland, so I was standing outside the Cleveland Browns stadium, knowing I couldn't get in. I was listening to the crowd roar because we were we were going to pick up my stepfather from work. He worked downtown. And it was during a game. And I knew I never could get in, and I was just like, you know what, forget trying to get in. One day I'm going to play in there, so I ain't got to worry about watching. I'm going to play in there one day. But I never got a chance to go um, and, and see a game until I got to college, and my University of Louisville football team went to a bowl game. And and the bowl and at the bowl game, one of the gifts was to watch the Detroit Lions play because we were playing our bowl game uh, in Detroit, and I got a chance to see Barry Sanders play live. And so he's just an amazing player, humble guy, and uh, I always wanted to be like him, and the first football number I ever wore was 20. All right, we are talking with T.C. Stallings. He's the author of Eyes Fixed, My True Life Story. You can find him online at tcstallings.life. We're going to come back to this conversation because there are those of you thinking right now, um, I could go on um, nfljerseys.com or something, and I can't find a T.C. Stallings jersey. We're going to talk about that (laughs) next. T.C. Stallings is our conversation partner. He is the author of Eyes Fixed. It is his real-life story. Um, You can find him online at tcstallings.life. The book you're looking for is Eyes Fixed, My True Life Story. Um, T.C., you can't, um, I can't shop for an NFL jersey that has your name on it. Can you talk about getting to the place in your life where you surrendered your dream to God's dream for you? 
Oh, for sure. You know, like I say, going back to that little kid, you know, I'm standing out there and, and realizing that if, if, if I can make it to NFL, I can change my, my, my parents' life. I can change my life. I can get out of this uh, dangerous neighborhood and, and, and see what I want to be. Um, and at this point, you know, my faith was such as where my mother, you know, um, you know, God bless her soul. My mother uh, was a person that continued to make sure I went to church. And so I did develop a, a healthy fear of God but I still hadn't learned what it meant to be a true Christ follower. That will come much later in my life. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm running around with this ball, and I, I got really, really good, and I did great in high school. And, and every year that I played, and I gained my scholarship to the University of Louisville, and, uh, you know, I played there. And then uh, I talk about this in my book. You know, it started to be some persecution that happened with me uh, in, in college just for being a Christian. And I, at first, I thought this was all about football, but later I learned that this was the Lord preparing me and just showing me that, listen, I know football may be the thing you think got you there, but I'm just using football as a vehicle to bring you closer to me. And it was in a, a college Bible study that I truly learned what it truly meant to be a Christ follower. And that's where things really start to shift for me. And I started to put God first. And I noticed that in putting God first, it started to cost me on the football field. And that ended up causing me to actually not get drafted because, you know, I, I had a coach that was bumping heads with me about my faith. And it led to me not playing as much as I could have played, you know. So I didn't make it. I didn't get drafted. And I started, but the Lord blessed me to play in other leagues. And I played in the CFL for the Calgary Stampeders. I played over in Europe and I played in the Arena League. But I never got a chance to hear my name called at the NFL draft and all of that. But I got something much greater because, you know, I learned to put the Lord above anything else, even if it would cost me something. And I started to learn what it means to pick up your cross and, and, and put your dreams aside. And so I traded in my will for God's will. And that's what I read in Scripture is the most important things, because in the end, it, it, it doesn't say that, you know, he says, you know, if you honor me before man, I'll honor you before the Father. But if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before the Father. He says, not everyone that calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father. So I learned all these things, and I decided to trade in my will for his, and and that meant me not getting drafted and some other things. And and uh, But I wanted Jesus more than all, any of that, and and, uh, and he still let me play in some leagues anyway. So I did get my dream of going pro, just not the NFL. So, yeah, you won't find my jersey, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I, I want to have you reflect with us Um we're just hearing like yesterday as Ben Roethlisberger is finishing his, you know, quite storied career at Pittsburgh, right. you know, and he has said, hey, I'm I'm done with this career, but now I'm going to be, you know, a person who advances the kingdom of God. Like that's my new emphasis. That's my focus. Mm -hmm. um, we know the story of Benjamin um, Watson. We know the story of Kurt Warner. Many of us, you know, like recently watched uh, American Underdog. Um, mm -hmm. We we know some of Tim Tebow's story. We uh, I think there's probably more there um, yet to be told. And then, you know, we see this kid at Clem uh, who was at Clemson, who's now at Jacksonville, um, Trevor mm -hmm. Lawrence. And I say to myself, there does appear to be um, a potential network of believers among mm -hmm. football's elite, both at the college and uh, at the at the NFL level. Do you see that more than you did, let's say, back when you were in college? Um. I mean, that's a difficult question to answer because I think um, I think it for me, all my life has been pretty much the same where the large majority of teams, you know, will have um, there's always like a, a few people that are really, really solid. Uh, but then the majority usually kind of just do their own thing. And I think mm -hmm. I think that's just the way it is. It's a, that's the way it'll always be. And I just think some people 
uh, in the more prominent positions who are in front of the microphone more. If they just, if they happen to be a Christian, um, great, then you hear from them. But, you know, you don't always hear from like defensive linemen. You don't hear mm-hmm. from the center, the punter and all of that kind of stuff. And and there are Christians there. So I think every team is, you know, pretty much different. But, you know, I was one of those people that you kind of, you're a little bit more outspoken with your faith. And then you kind of get put out in the front as the the, the spiritual leader, the guy that leads in the you know, Bible studies and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I I talk about that. I wrote a book called Plan on God's Team, which focuses solely on that. And I wanted to strengthen Christians that are the only persons that may be uh, of faith on their team. But no, I'm I'm seeing more people. I do. Well, here's what I will tell you. I am starting to see more people willing to immediately give uh, God the glory and go out of their way to do it. And, uh, and that's inspiring to be able to see. Mm-hmm. You, um, You've made reference to your mom a couple of times, um, and the last time you said, you know, God rest her soul. I know that you lost your mom to COVID. You cover that in the book. Um, you talk about the peace which passes all understanding. Can you can you walk us a little bit into that story? Sure. Um, probably one of the – there's no way of preparing for something like that. Um, and uh, uh, the book was actually done <laughs> And, you know, turned in and everything, and I, I thought it was over with. And, um, you know, my mother passed, and I, I pulled the book back out and uh, dedicated the last chapter to her. What's funny is she's all over the book. I mentioned her all throughout. And you can tell as you're reading it, you're going to see, you're going to be able to tell that, you know, I'm writing it as if she's alive, you know, because she was at mm-hmm. the time. And then, you know, when she left, um, the last chapter is on about her, and it's just raw. Um, and... You know, it was just right. And I was I live in Texas now, but I was living in California at the time. And we were one of the, you know, in California, you know, we're shutting things down. And, and we were kind of getting the information firsthand because we were one of the first states to shut down and stuff. And so I'm getting this and they're talking about how it affects the elderly and people that are, you know, already have pre-existing conditions. And my mother was was a diabetic and in Cleveland. And so I was communicating with her back and forth a lot about like, hey, are you doing this? Are you washing your clothes? Are you, you know, they're saying everything that I got, I, I would tell her. And, and I was really pushing them to be careful and be safe. And I'll never forget when I got the call when she says, you know, hey, I got the virus. You guys better start praying. Um, and we, we we prayed and she got in the hospital and she went to the hospital on her birthday. And she was in, she spent her birthday in the hospital. Um, and then the last thing I, you know, I have my kids draw some pictures and I text the pictures to her and, you know, I got brothers and sisters in Cleveland and they, they, they were, were not allowed to go on her floor. So she, I felt mm-hmm. like she was alone and all this stuff started to bother me. And uh, I just remember sending her these pictures and she said, Hey, we're here. And the last thing I, I got from her, uh, was a text that said, I got the pictures. I love them. Uh, from that point on, I got a call from the doctor said she went to a coma and they're starting to flip her over and they're giving her all these drugs and all these different things. And. Um, next thing I know was a doctor calling me, telling me that, um, uh, you know, she's, she's going to be gone. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, it was the weirdest thing for me. Um, but the interesting thing is, you know, I got a lot of people in my family that don't know the Lord and I didn't have to force the peace that God gave me, uh, that basically the pain that I feel from what I'm, I'm losing was started to be superseded by what she gained, which is to be in the presence of the Lord. And Amen. I just allowed the Lord to give me that peace so that my family could see it. I didn't have to force it. I didn't have to, you know, um, it wasn't artificial, just true peace. And I was even happy to, to experience it because you don't know if you can have a peace that surpasses understanding to you, to you in a, a moment that requires it. it. 
Tony, he gave it. That's to exactly me. right. Amen. And he gave it to me, and I, and I told my family that you know the way that you see her again is to is to believe in the same Jesus that she did, and um, and 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 that's how it went down. But um, I'm gonna continue to make her proud of something I've always done, and I know I can see her smiling. Um, I'll never forget that smile that's on her face when I do the things that God has called me to do. And I'm going to continue to do that. You know, it's continue to just make her proud until I see her again. Amen. We are delighted to meet you today. Um, this is T.C. Stallings. He is, among other things, the author of Eyes Fixed, My True Life Story. You can find him at tcstallings.life. T.C., thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, friends, we are out of time for today, but we'll meet you right back here tomorrow on Mornings with Carmen. You could share the podcast with someone else. You just go get it at MyFaithRadio.com, or if you download the Faith Radio app, then when it's posted, you can just share it right from there. It's a great way to be a missionary of the program. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.